Hello and welcome to our global S&OP community weekly podcast Brought to you by Ahmed Khalid and Ahmed Al-Hamamsi from Middle East Our global S&OP community podcast mission is to build a global community from supply chain, marketing, trade marketing, sales and finance all over the world Where everyone's voice could be heard and listened Every week we host a new episode with great thought leader in the S&OP industry. We believe that one word, one story, or one conversation could open up the light in the screen of your consciousness and you'll never be the same again. We discuss hot and trending topics with our subject matter experts by asking the right questions that uncover their valuable experience in our show. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.com .co Stay tuned every week with our global S&OP community podcast. Our inspiring guest today is Nanise Gadarab. Nanise Gadarab is the sales vice president at Unilever Canada. Nanise joined Unilever Mashrik 24 years ago as supply chain management trainee in Egypt. Uh, after five years of uh, gaining unbeatable experience, I would say, in the supply chain, into end, something has pulled her uh, from the supply chain to another function. That thing was the customer and consumer love. That's why she decided to move from the supply chain and discover what is inside the business and what is the business about. She played many roles in sales, marketing, and trade marketing in that period for across 10 countries. That's why our, our podcast, if you see our vision and our podcast is all about collecting and collaborating all of those functions, which is something very solid about our guest today, Nanise Gadrab. In 2007, she decided to move to Canada and leave her purpose there. Her purpose is making the impossible possible while inspire other people or the people around her to be the best version of themselves. Uh, Nanise, she lives by three Fs, faith, family, and fitness. Her customer uh, love and her consumer love pulled her in 2018 to be recognized as a star woman in Canada Grocery. So may I ask you please to welcome with us our great thought leader today, Nanise Gadrab. And before doing or just introducing Nanise Gadrab, let's give her the amazing applause. Please, please. So definitely it's a pleasure to have you today, Nanis. And uh, really, it's, I, say, I keep saying this, uh, it's a glory to have you today in our show. And uh, because I, 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 your legacy is still there in Egypt after even you left the Egypt, still there because of your inspirational thoughts and your great values, how you lead and how you give it uh, all to people. But let me seize this moment 
and let's explore and reveal all the, the great values that you have today and your, uh, I would say, uh, uh, purpose and your values related to uh, customer and consumer love. And one of the questions that uh, we need to ask you about it, which is in the area that we live in, which is we live in mostly, especially FMC, FMCG in the B2B businesses environment, including hundreds of retailers and customers and thousands of stores. And I, I could say ship to points, how to build a retail strategy that could be aligned with the business strategy. Yeah, Ahmed, that's a great question. And, and first, thank you for, I'm so humbled for this introduction. So thank you for the incredible introduction. Very, very humbled uh, to hear all of that. Strategy is, uh, is my favorite subject. So I am, I'm happy that that's the first question. Um, and definitely, you're absolutely right. I, I think strategy is, is, um, is an important topic and it's important to get it right, to be able to differentiate yourself and win in market. Um, so I always like to think about three questions, uh, the why, the what, and the how. And I'll explain in a second what does that mean. We'll start with the why, because you always start with the why, as, uh, as uh, Simon Sinek always say, but it is the purpose. It's the purpose behind everything you're trying to do. And this is the starting point, not only for organizations, but also because of the consumers. So all the big organizations now have, you know, very quickly knew that purpose is such an essential part because it defines where are you going, the destination you want to go to. So I think it's important to define your purpose and stick to that purpose. Mm -hmm. And for example, like in Unilever, we say sustainability. It's all about sustainability. Making sustainability a commonplace is the purpose. And everything Unilever does anywhere in all the countries are, are centered toward that. Um, a company like, for example, Apple, it's all about the user experience, right? Like that's an innovation. So anyone yes. who's using Apple, that's what you see. Uh, a company like Amazon, their purpose is to be the Earth's most uh, consumer-centric centric organization. So that's their purpose. Everything they do is, is, uh, is really driven by this purpose. And I'm talking about consumers as well, because what we're seeing is that consumers are looking for brands and organization mm -hmm. to have a purpose and to drive uh, to drive beyond the brands, to drive something bigger and, and more important. One of the research that we have uh, found recently in North America, and I'm sure it applies to everywhere in the world as well, is that 60% of consumers are saying that I will not buy my favorite brand. I will not buy it. If I feel that the company that, you know, producing this brand are not taking a stand, right? Like they're not taking a stand, whether it's environment, in human rights, in, you know, in big topics. So, so um, you know, we always say companies with purpose last and people with purpose thrive and brand with purpose grow. And that's important. So I think you have to first start with the why, which is the purpose. Um, Linked with the purpose as well, the values. And I know you will tell me, oh, I'm asking about the strategy. What is the relationship between strategies and values? But what I have found from my experience is that it's very important for your team to sit together, to invest the time to define the values that describes you as a team or as an organization. Um, values could be integrity, could be holding people accountable, it could be diversity and inclusion. It could be about being bold, uh, being creative, going outside of the box. 
and what is important about values and you know it does take time so it's it's about investing the time to do that but it's very valuable because every time you have your strategy you go back to the value and you ask yourself if my values are to be bold to be a bold organization is my strategy showing enough boldness if no let me go back and change my strategy you ask yourself i said that one of our values as a team is diversity and inclusion if my if, mm. is my strategy today that i build is it inclusive or not is it diverse or not and if not go back and change the strategy so the values will drive if your strategy is moving in the right direction or not so so that's number one number two is the what which is actually a few goals that you put together and say what are the goals what are the objectives that will allow me to achieve my purpose um and this will be like the body of the strategy so the core or the purpose is in the core if you have a circle purpose in the core and then you have the what and then you have the how right in the what one of the things i learned um throughout the years that you need to involve everyone you need to be inclusive so if i'm building a sales strategy or a customer development strategy I invite my finance colleagues, my supply chain colleagues, my marketing colleagues, they are all sitting there. And you will say, this is a CV or a sales strategy. Why are you inviting all the partners? Well, you will be surprised how much input and how much feedback and how much yeah. value they will bring to the table because you're now thinking about the end to end and you're being inclusive. And to your point earlier, every voice is being heard and every idea and the great ideas are coming from everywhere. Mm. So including your partners your stakeholders is very important including the customer is very important so we usually go to our retailers and say what are the what are the gaps that we have what are the blind spots what do you think if we're if we're re-looking at our strategies what are the things in the future that we need to be you know mm -hmm. aware of what do you think the success in the future will look like so so getting the feedback from multiple um multiple people is super important before you decide the what. And then the last piece is the how, and how is your execution arm? And they always say, um, they always say that without, uh, without strategy, without strategy, um, um, the execution is aimless. And without execution, the strategy is useless, right? So strategy and execution go hand in hand. Uh, you can't just execute something without a, a solid strategy and you can't have you can have the best strategy ever if you can't execute it then it's great pen on the paper but you know it's not really something that will take you to the next level so i i think that's about it the other good quote that i always hear is that they always say culture eats culture eats strategy for breakfast i don't know if you heard that uh, that expression before yes culture strategy for breakfast and that's why it's important that you start with the purpose and the value because your value your values of the team or organization will define your culture and if you have a strong culture and you have a good strategy and good execution no one can beat you you will just win with customers you will win with consumers you will just be a winner in market so uh, I think it's important to relate all things together. And I know, I know when I started my career, I was like, okay, focus on strategy, focus on strategy, focus on strategy. <laughs> but the reality is you have to focus on values. You have to take, focus on people. You have to focus on execution in order to have the right strategy. Amazing. Of course, I, uh, Ahmed, please, uh, a round of applause. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure.
You're making really? me laugh. <laughs> really, because it's, it's, uh, the answer is very inclusive and the way that you are spreading your ideas, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing because uh, really this level of, of transparency and including all people on, on the table and uh, like the internal stakeholders and external stakeholders, uh, this is the most important thing to win, I think, and we, uh, I think we miss this and most of organizations miss this and uh, uh, they go making a strategy like they go, they close on themselves or, or top management close on themselves to develop the strategy without involving everybody. So that's why you, uh, here you deserve really a round of applause for this kind of thinking and uh, <laughs> really, really that's, that's, that's the right thing or the right way to do business, I think. Definitely, I think the other one that just reminded me with Hamamsi just before we move to this point, yeah. I think you reminded me with an important point as well. When I when I started, you're right, like strategy was few people in a room yeah. doing things, nobody knows what they're doing. Yes. And you know, you can be inclusive if you have two, three people. I mean, it's important as well to have all levels of the organization. Um, it's important to listen from uh, your millennials, your genzennials, the people who has the experience, because everyone brings something new to the table. So diversity is not necessarily only the diversity of gender, but it's yeah. also the diversity of experience. Um, mm -hmm. Even if you have zero experience, that's by itself is an experience. Uh, and it's something that you have because you bring fresh eyes and you bring fresh blood. But I think the other piece as well is diversity of thoughts, which is very important. Mm -hmm. We all are thinking the same and we're sitting in one room and we're deciding this is the brilliant strategy. <laughs> we're also thinking the same. Like we need to have different people who are different views to, to yes. challenge us. And then the last piece about strategy as well, if you allow me, is, um, is also one of the hardest thing about strategy that I've seen lots of teams fail because of. Um, is that successful strategy is about making choices. I think one of the biggest mm -hmm. things we all do is we try to do so much. Like we have 20, 30, 40 things in a strategy that we're trying to execute. Guess what? We will never be ex able to execute it because we will never be able to focus and we will never have the resources and, and money and budgets. Like even if you are a big organization, you will never have all these resources and budgets. Mm -hmm. So one of the hardest things as a strategy that you decide what's in scope and what out of scope and to take some tough decisions because sometimes the things out of scope are very appealing and very interesting and things that we all want to do. But, you know, you have to take the tough decision and say, I will only focus on the top four or five. When I get them right, I will start embedding more. But for now, Sometimes it's tough. I know we all try to go into, oh, this is shiny. This is great. This is like amazing. Let's do this and this and this and this. Um, that's, in my opinion, the first the first step for failure. So um, we need to avoid 100%. that and prioritize. Yes. 100%. I, I believe, uh, Nanis, it's all about clarity. Sometimes that we can put uh, some fancy stuff on a word or just or a paper, but when it comes to reality, you will find, you will observe really that the leadership quality of the organization, when they set the right strategy, when you come at all levels, either at uh, a strategical or tactical or operational level, when you go and speak with people about what is the real strategy of the business or, or the organization or the function itself, by this way, you will understand if the leader is, is just very clear about the strategy or not 
Because when you come and ask here and there and there, you will find everyone is overwhelmed and nobody understands the bigger picture. And here it comes the role of the strategy of the organization. Strategy of the organization, as you said that, we have many strategies at all levels, but at the same time, how you will be very clear with your people. This is the essence of the leadership and the strategy of the organization itself. So, yeah. Sure. I'll, if you allow me, I we think have we start, we got first, some yeah. Let's yes, take a we have great question. I think it's it's a little bit operational, but it it's it's very nice question. Our friend Muhammad Al Baz is asking in co in case of stock limitation, and you cannot cover the top uh, ten retailers. What's the best way to distribute the stocks? Yeah, it's a great question, Mohammed. Thank you for asking it. And, and with the pandemic, it's very relevant because yeah. in the pandemic, I think every organization <laughs> everywhere, even retailers themselves have been um, have found some limitations in, in their supply chain themselves. Like if they have private label or, or they're importing their own products, uh, I think they have been under this. And I, I think there are a couple of things, Mohammed, here that I'll say. The first one is the first thing that you really have to do is be transparent with all the retailers. It's important that you are transparent with all the retailers and, uh, and you know, be proactive in the communication. And one of the things I learned during the pandemic is over communicating with retailers, super important in the pandemic. Um, they will appreciate your proactivity, your transparency. Sometimes we're worried about bad news. Oh, this is bad news. How am I going to bring it to the customer? But you know what in the in the situations we are in it's a pandemic there are lots of issues and uh, and they will appreciate more that you come to them and say listen here is the situation i am in i am trying as much as possible to be um you know to support my retailers and to support my consumers and this is absolutely the number one uh, thing that everyone has to do, but transparency and lots of communication and mm -hmm. lots of update is very important. I think that some of the strategy, Mohammed, that work is one, um, and I'm not saying all of them could work, and you need to assess where this, you know, your organization and where you are. Uh, but to me, I mean, it, it's important to be as fair and equitable as you can be um, between your, uh, your retailers. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, together with between sales and supply chain, they need to sit together and, and figure out how is how is being fair and equitable looks like. If that means that you have to put things on allocation, for example, then you need to put things on allocation mm. or stock in allocation or whatever supply chain tactics you have to be fair and equitable. I think it's important to be fair and equitable, and it's important to ensure that your retailers and your customers are being treated well in that bad decision it will mean that everyone will take a little bit uh, <laughs> nobody will get 100 percent, which is fine because you know what it's it's a tough situation and we are all in that tough situation the other piece that i've seen lots of organizations have done uh, muhammad is um is around uh, being uh, selective on their items that they are producing so many mm -hmm. organizations said i'll define the top I don't know, 200, 300, 400 items that represent whatever, 50% of my portfolio. And this is all what I'm going to produce for the event of the pandemic, for example. 
uh, because these are the high selling, it will simplify the supply chain, it will allow supply chain to have less turnarounds and, and less, you know, uh, cleaning up of machines and so on, and it will allow a better efficiency. It might also mean that you need specific items in terms of raw material and packaging material that you need. So many organizations have done that and just focused on the top, whatever, 50-60% of the items just to give themselves a little bit of uh, space and from a consumer perspective, I, I think the consumer is well appreciated that because usually the consumer are looking, especially in a pandemic timing, they are looking at like the top sellers or the top items. Um, so this exercise, doing this exercise very quickly and reviewing it all the time uh, is an important one. But I will say communicate to the consumer, to the customer, mm. very important. 100%. Be fair as well as much as possible and then um, make some decisions internally about you know what to produce what to stop um based of course like it will be very different based on you know where's your raw material mm -hmm. coming where's your packaging coming where's your factories and all the supply chain parameters but i think these are the three things that probably uh, will help and of course i mean it will help it will not be ideal for sure but it will help uh, until everyone is is going through this uh, this force majeure. Perfect. Yes. Beautiful. It's beautiful. beautiful it's all about, uh, as you said, balance, collaboration, and transparency between uh, with the retailers and uh, end to end. Of course, supply chain. You have to weigh your uh, your benefits and and it's it's about weighing and choosing trade offs. Now we're all in a force majeure. I I love your uh, your answer. Of course, it's very very clear and and to the point. I yes. think boring yes. questions are coming from everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yes, another... yeah, definitely. We'll jump into the next question. So we have Mr. Hassan Gmei. So <laughs> Hassan is saying, just asking, what are your views of the future regarding online shopping? Do you think that uh, one day retailers will only be virtual? Shopper can shop through Metaverse. Hassan, uh, great to see you after all these years, and I hope you and the family are doing great. And thank you for joining, Hassan. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. Um, I think it's a great question, Hassan, and, and definitely online shopping is is a, a trend that is coming, and, and we need to be very proactive and we need to be ready uh, for it. I can tell you now in North America, and I'm sorry, I don't know what's the numbers in, in Middle East, but I can tell you in North America, um you know the pandemic for sure you know tripled the market so the market what we thought is going to take 10 years took six months in online uh, so uh, one decade happening in six months and of course um it, it, you know like pandemic of course has been a very tough uh, challenge for so many of us but in the same time it did bring some trends and online is is one of the, these trends that we're seeing growing I know in the US now, some of the categories and some of the industries, online shopping is accounting anything between 20 to 25%. So it is high. Um, do I think that online everything will be virtual? I don't think so. I think there's always uh, there will always be an importance for the physical in-store. I think the physical in-store will always be important. However, the role that the online shopping is playing is paramount and important. And I think we all need to um, 
I was having this discussion actually, Hassan, with one of my colleagues. We can't say I'm a traditional salesperson. I'm not going to do Omni. Every salesperson and every person in any company need to be an Omni person. Like digital literacy is becoming one of the most important skills that we all need to educate ourselves about because that's the future and this is how the future will be. And it might take, you know, some countries more years than others. Um, but one of the very important things that we are seeing in North America now is that majority of the consumers are searching, even if they are in the physical store, they are searching online before they make the purchase. So you you see people in the aisle, like looking in their yeah. you know, computers, looking at or looking at their cell phones, reviewing rates and reviews, reviewing the content, looking at the pictures and so on. So um, it's paramount that organization have a world-class omni strategy. It's very important to develop the time, to invest the time and the resources uh, behind Omni and behind the development of the strategy. Um, and it's super important as well. When we talk about winning in retailers, every retailers need support in the Omni area. They need a strong and robust Omni uh, strategy. Um, you know, not, like now rates and, and, and reviews are becoming very, very important to make a decision. So it's becoming a huge area like consumers, if they find bad rates and reviews, they are not buying even from the for the physical in-store, right? Content is becoming very important. So what message are you um, are you wanting the consumer to see? What are the content? What are the pictures? Even the quality of the pictures on, for example, the, your iPhone or your Android or whatever you know device you're using is becoming more and more important. And this is one of the things that retailers are looking for us uh, as CPGs to, um, to invent, to have innovations and to have clarity of strategy and to have uh, execution, very strong execution arm, and more importantly, to have the talents. I think the talents mm. behind, um, you know, it's a totally different conversation. It's not about rebates and, you know, promotions and so on. It's, it's becoming a bigger and bigger um, conversation and different conversation about how do you attract consumers online. So definitely it's going to be more and more important in future. And definitely my advice is um is get into this wave. Like I, I talk to lots of people yeah. who say, oh, you know what? Online is only 2% of my business. So I'm not going to react now. I'll wait until it's 20% and then I'll react. I, I think the people who will invest um, ahead of the curve are the people and the organization who will win long-term. I hope that answers yeah. your question, Hassan. 100%. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> That's hard. It's I, hard to, to add points to, to what you say. So. This is definitely uh, we cannot interfere too much on that yes. so i can echo <laughs> i would echo you your voice Nanis, in that point and i think that many organizations now nowadays uh, they understand the importance of the e-commerce channel and d-commerce even channel uh, however they face some challenges in terms of i would say cost especially when it comes that they don't have the capabilities you will you will see that uh, i would say the normal organizations they see they see that that the e-commerce or d-commerce channel itself it brings negative roi maybe at the beginning but this is the trend any uh, organization that will not take that trend will be obsolete in the near future this is what i keep saying because this is the the normal way as i said it will be most probably it will be hybrid 
but definitely the organizations that they focus only on their P&L and they look only into financials, they will lose definitely in the medium, even and long term, if they focus only on financials, because this is the trend, how it looks. Yeah, I 100% I echo you. I speak as a, as a consumer or as a customer. For me now, it's very easy to order, like you said, uh, Denise, using the mobile and seeing the pictures and and the coming day or the after less than 24 hours i have my product uh, on my door and everything is there so you have to be online i think now it's essential to be online if you're not online you may lose your your whole uh, your whole business and credibility with with the consumers absolutely yeah. uh, i i was reading recently on the fortune 500 um the list of fortune 500 since 2020 52% of the companies that was in Fortune 500 disappeared in the last 20 years. Wow. Mm. So 52% of the companies completely disappeared. And the question is, why did they disappear? I think I know the answer. But the bigger question is, <laughs> how many companies in the next 20 years will survive if the changes yeah. continue like that? How many companies will survive? And if we continue to see 50% of companies disappearing, um, you know, what does that tell you? Like, that's for yeah. me is the is wake up call, right? Like, it's yes. a wake up call around changes coming, and we need to, we need to, um, adapt, you know, adapt we, need to adapt, we need to pivot, we need to change. And you know what? Like, a company like Kodak was a huge company at the time, mm -hmm. they didn't, they didn't jump into the digital, you know photography at the time yeah. and they thought that this is not the priority they actually did a little bit they didn't reject it at all like many people are saying codex rejected the digital actually they did some work but they didn't give it a priority and to your point uh Ahmed, maybe they said at the time oh you know it's not there yet <laughs> it's bad ROI. i'm not going to invest behind it and in the year that codex um um, communicated their bankruptcy in the world, Facebook was acquiring Instagram to get everyone mm. to share photos that are digitally in a very wow. new and creative way. So, I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely a wake-up call for all of us to think about the change that's coming and how do we want to invest behind it because I definitely I don't want any of us to be <laughs> in the list of, uh, of companies disappearing. Yes. Thank you, Nanis. So we'll jump into very interesting question. And uh, it's all about also the strategy. So how can organizations build like uh, a joint uh, business planning process just to drive a mutual benefits between the organization and their retailer? Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Ahmed. Thank you for asking that. And I think um, it's interesting that I think joint business planning I think we need to change our mindset a little bit about the joint business planning. In my opinion, I have been doing now joint business planning for over 15 years. And um, in, in many cases and in many companies, I have seen joint business planning becoming a process. It's about checking the box. It's about the templates, right? Mm -hmm. Like show me the templates and the decks and Okay, we have done meeting number one, check the box. Okay, meeting number two, check the box. Okay, we completed the process. Thank you so much. You're great, right? Um, and I, my challenge to myself and to my team and to the audience today is how do we challenge ourselves 
that JVP and joint business planning is not about the process. It's about it's about the culture, and it's mm -hmm. about driving growth and driving results. So um, it, I, I do encourage everyone to think less about the process and more about the outcome of the process. Um, and I think some of the things that I have learned personally uh, about JVP is one, it has to be holistic. So again, um, it has to involve everyone in the organization. You need your supply chain, you need your finance, you need your marketing. Mm -hmm. You need everyone to, you need your online, you need your digital and media partners to be part of the joint business planning because their plans is so important. Like you need to talk about shopper marketing and plans of shopper marketing. And uh, one of the things that in my uh, experience, I, you know, that experience that you will not find in the books is uh, <laughs> the first piece in JVP is ensure that you are aligned with your customer and your retailer about what's the KPIs that you are after. What, what does success look like? Because I can tell you, I have spent years working on growth strategies for retailers before I understood that, you know, they're trying to make profit. <laughs> or you know, you're trying, your organization is trying to um, influence certain pricing, but your retailer is to influence inflation or deflation or or their strategy or their success how they you know mm. how they are looking at success is a little bit different than how your organization is looking at success so the first thing you need to do is listen to the customer mm. um, and ask about their goals and kpis and align your jdp with their goals if their goals is about driving profit ahead of sales then this is something you need to keep in mind right like i mean you can you can drive growth and you're very happy and now they're losing profit that's not a joint business planning that's a one one way planning <laughs> uh, right so that's the one thing the second piece is around um you know truly understand their business model as well like some of the business models mm -hmm for retailers is very complicated, right? Like the way they go into yes. the stores, the way how the stores are making money, what's in their PL, what's out of the PL. I mean, these details in the past, I used to think, I, I don't need to know all these details, but actually <laughs> you need to ask questions and you need to know how exactly the business model of the retailer is working because that way um, you're working with them on developing something that will work for your, your organization, but their organization as well. Um, I think the other piece about GVP that I learned the hard way is to be flexible. I think so many times we go with, here's my proposal. I am not going mindset. to, it. you know, it, it is like the whole idea about JVP is to get feedback and be flexible and tweak a little bit your plan to make it workable and to make it differentiated as well, because every retailer wants to be differentiated and, if you come with your assumption that my proposal is the best proposal, nobody can ever change it, um, <laughs> then, you know, you're just going there with a the mindset of negotiation and, you know, they have to listen to me versus, uh, you know, what flexibility can I put without changing my strategy, without changing my purpose. Mm, yeah. Of course, the purpose <laughs> is the purpose, the strategy is the strategy, but maybe there are a few tweaks and few pivots that we can do uh, to make it workable for uh, for both sides. And then I think the other piece as well about JVP is it has to be long-term. It cannot be 
Um, it cannot be this is what we're going to do in the next six months or one year, and then we don't know what's going to happen. I think it's important to lay some um, you know, opportunities around. Here's the two-year plan. Here's the three-year plan. Things might change, for sure. We are in a changing environment. Uh, I mean, who knew that COVID-19 will come and change our lives? So, I mean, we're all going to change as the consumer behavior change. But having a three-years plan, um, you know, a skeleton of a plan, and then finalize a one-year or, or six months, and then working through uh, the purpose and the vision of the three years is, is super important as well. Beautiful. Very beautiful. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I would just add something here, like what you said, Denise, which is it's all about the clarity and understanding your retailers because some people that they treat all of their retailers the same. I keep saying that it's once a soul, and I keep uh, looking from just a wider perspective or a broad perspective. But when it comes to build a, a customer relationship management, it really is, should be also intercorrelated with your uh, organization and business strategy. And if you don't understand what's going on with your uh, uh, customers and your retailers, how you'll be able to convince them. And I keep saying this, if I won't convince anyone about idea about just a mutual benefits i put myself in the other way so i i ask myself what is in it for me and uh, if i don't understand what is in it for me i will never be I will, I will not be able to convince them about that because at the end of the day it's a mutual benefits there is m there is a CR, CRM, and it's it should be always uh, related and just uh correlated to Together. If this bond is not mutually uh, connected, yeah. there is a, there will be a slink. That's why you put you should work on that way. Understand? Like what you said, that you should even understand their PNL, how it looks like when they allocate their uh, assortments, their uh, the share of shelf, what is contracted, what is not contracted. All of this should be understood. I should understand when I stay on one table, we will have a real mutual benefits that will leverage both businesses, the supplier and even the customer. Yeah, absolutely, Ahmed. I think clarity on actions as well is very important. I do believe that joint business planning is about mutual actions. So each party has a responsibility, right? And mm -hmm. we need to be clear about what is you know the supplier going to do, what is the retailer going to do, and What's our action and hold ourselves accountable in a good way, in a trust and in a good way in partners, right? Like we are partners. So uh, you will do this. I will do that. If I fail to do it, you hold me accountable. If you fail to do it, I will hold you accountable. So I think this accountability and clarity of action is super important. The other big thing that is going to change the way how JVP is, is, is being planned is, um, is the data, right? Like, I mean, today, especially with retailers who have loyalty data, um, we have millions of points of data. So data-driven um, analytics will become, will become a huge advantage opportunity and will, be huge, will become a huge competitive advantage for those who leverage it. And I know many retailers have invested behind um, data scientists and, and you know, mm. technology and artificial intelligence. Machine learning, yes. Machine learning and so on. So what is the role? My question to the audience, what's the role you're going to play? Are you going to be part of this wave or not? Because if you're not part of that wave, 
you might not be realized as a partner in the future, as a joint business partner in the future. So what are you going to add to this, right? Like if they have millions of data on loyalty, if they have all the machine learning, what is the piece that you will add there? And how can you partner with them on, um, you know, these amazing, like, I mean, today the technology and machine learning is opening up horizons that we never thought will ever exist so how do you take a proactive action to partner in for example i don't know can we forecast together which is by the way part of the snp and i'm a big yeah. believer that you know snp should not be an only external process but it has to be translated uh, sorry internal process but it has to be translated external. externally of the to the customers so you know, think about what what projects are you and what you know learning and what new pilots you're bringing to the table uh, that is beyond beyond the operations. Maybe it's it's about forecasting. Maybe it's about promotional planning. Maybe it's about you know mm. using machine learning. Maybe it's about data analytics and insights, which is a huge a huge uh, area that is growing very quickly. Yeah. That's, that's, Thank you, that's, that's totally great, yes, Nanisa. It's a lot of values, of course, and uh, I think uh, the questions, as you said, is, uh, is pouring. Uh, let's try to take some questions. I think we need a lot of sessions with, uh, with <laughs> really great, great values, and everybody's, uh, I think, is enjoying from our audience. Definitely. So we'll jump into the next question. We have our friend. Uh, our okay. our friend Inayat Karim, he's asking, how can credit recover from aggressive retailers? How can credit be recovered from aggressive retailers? I am not sure I understand the question. Um, how can credit be recovered? I, I think what I understand maybe something is related and uh, well, if he can correct me also related to the cash flow. Yeah, cash flow cool. maybe because of the payment terms and the, the payment on time itself and the, the dues uh, in, the, in the, the retail side especially after the COVID inside the COVID-19 I think that yeah most organizations, for some yes, organizations and they are not paying on time everyone is yes yeah. everyone was focusing to collect all the due payments so yeah I think that he's asking yeah. on that no, thank you for the explanation. And um, yeah. I'm guessing that uh, so many, so many people have been struggling with the payments for sure, and the credit, especially with everything happening. Um, we we actually didn't face lots of this challenge in North America, and maybe because it's a very modern trade market and. Most of the retailers are big and they have strong financial, but yes. I'm assuming that in traditional trade and with small retailers, mm -hmm. um, there must be, there must have been lots of uh, challenge. Um, it's a, it's one of the tough questions. I, I think you need to find the balance between, um, between how much um, grace period you're going to give and how much as well you're risking your organization because as well with the pandemics, um, it's it's quite normal that you find some of the retailer disappearing completely because you know mm -hmm. they they just are unable to, unfortunately, unable to take the financial hits um, that they have. So um, 
I mean, I I would think that this is something that needs to be reviewed with um, with the finance partners and and figure out you know how how much how much um, flexibility is the organization have, and I think it will depend on the organization itself how much flexibility. Um, do they have and how much as well risk assessment? I think the risk assessment yes, will exactly. be a very important piece uh, to do in order to, um, you know, like you don't want half of your customers to disappear and, you know, and, and then you are in a very, um, you know, tough financial situation. So uh, maybe I'm not very clear about the answer, but I think it will really depend on your market. It will really depend on your customers. It will really depend on what uh, guarantees you will have with these retailers um, longer term, right? Um, so that that would be my advice, Ahmed. And Ahmed, you're probably more you're now more in the trade, uh, here, uh, the traditional trade than me. So probably yes, more. yes. No, I, I echo your what you're saying. Of course, it's all about the risk metrics, risk analysis, and to see according to to the industry and according to to your business how much is uh, in traditional trade, how much is in modern trade, as you were saying sit with the finance the finance people has to see uh, has to weigh the risks of course and has to see uh, the the credit limit uh, for for each customer has to see the credit days for each customer has to see how uh, long the the organization can survive without cash or without getting money and because you have people to to pay you have salaries you have the utilities you have everything so you have to be it has to be a complete risk uh, risk analysis i i think so risk benefit analysis and all that yeah Yes, uh, I can echo also uh, your yes. voice, Nanis and uh, Hamamsi in that point. And it depends, as you said, uh, Nanis, it depends on the, the market segmentation, how it looks like, because if you have a market that like where we are today in the Middle East, mostly you'll find that the weight of the modern trade and the weight of uh, the traditional trade, it's almost 50-50. So we are risking 50%. And it depends also on how you're treating your customer. If I'm talking about the risk zone, which is in traditional trade, how it looks like, how, how you are dealing with your uh, retailers, uh, how you identify your uh, wholesalers, the gold, the silver, and the bronze, yes. how you deal with them, because you have also to segment them and you have to study them financially, as you said, Nanis, because uh, this will define definitely will be a factor that will be embedded in your uh, payment terms, how it looks like some some of the retailers, the small retailers, you will work with them like cash and carry quickly. And some of them, uh, when it, it becomes stronger and as we speak about the strategies between SRM and CRM, it, it you can negotiate about the payment term. But it's not only one side. I keep saying this. Because it's yes, from CRM side, you could you should have uh, reduced the payment term. But from the other side, also from SRM, just to to collect your cash or just to uh, that your cash flow is on the right way, you have also to negotiate with your uh, suppliers, because the more the the, the less that you give them, like uh, uh, the payment term. It, it will also enhance your uh, cash flow. So it's from the customer side and also from the supplier side. So don't just look at uh, my advice okay. also, Anet, just from both sides. If you want to survive and if you want to have sustainability. And if you have some challenges, I would say from the customers that rightly that they have payment, uh, payment on time challenges, you can come and 
and review your scan analysis and the payment on term and just you can reduce your uh, payment terms accordingly just to not risk any challenges or uh, just uh, afford yourself for loans and have more interest and it will definitely uh, kill your uh, uh, bottom line i would say this is just my humble advice definitely so naris can i ask you this question i know that we have thousands of questions i'm really so curious about the coming question and we asked uh, asked this question to me and honestly i listened to many philosophies so i would like to listen for your philosophy on that uh, it's all about esq rationalization mm-hmm. i know that we are if you come back to organizations you see that marketing they want to have the biggest portfolio availability every varieties mix everywhere on the shelf itself but the truth is that we have a limited space on shelf right and we have a limited space or sh- share of shelf uh, on the retailer side so when it comes to sq rationalization and uh, sq i would say assortment on the retail side how you what is the philosophy that you use for sq rationalization It's an excellent question um, Ahmed and I think it's uh, it's a hot topic it's a hot topic I know it's a hot topic nowadays um, because exactly what you said the number of SKUs is increasing the number of items are increasing there are lots of innovation uh, there is pressure on the shelf the physical shelf of course the mm-hmm. online shelf has its own challenges uh, but there are physical um, pressures on the on the shelf and uh, and there is pressures as well on supply chain and i think supply chain optimization and supply chain resilience is is very important especially as we recover from a big pandemic like i know many countries are still under lots of pressure from a supply chain perspective and from um availability uh, perspective I know people usually use sq rationalization or mm-hmm. sq optimization interchangeably I personally like to call it optimization. I don't like to call it rationalization and I'll tell you why. To me optimization is is a must and I think it's all about in in my opinion it's all about driving growth. This is about driving mm-hmm. sustainable growth and profitable growth. If optimization is only going to simplify supply chain, that's good. Of course, we all want supply chain to be uh, simplified and and to be efficient, more efficient. um but it has to drive optimization of SKUs and items has to drive at the end of the day sustainable and profitable growth for both parties for the customer yep. and for the mm. and for the CPG um and i think this is the KPI and this is how success looks like and this is where the goal has to be very clear that some of the other goals is simplification of supply chain i know now lots of retailers are saying if i focus on only the top sellers i will have more on shelf availability which is mm-hmm. good for me because mm-hmm. you know i'm always running out of stock from the high you know high velocity items so it is good as well from from a retailer perspective but i truly think it's a very important it's a very complex exercise but it's very important exercise and i think I, I think it we shouldn't be CPG waiting for the retailer to knock our door to say hey I am doing you know SQ optimization please help me I don't think we should do that I think we should be proactively having yeah. this discussion 
and internally mm -hmm. and figuring out what does uh, optimization look like that will be a win for customers and win for us as an organization. And I think in order to do that as well, it's it's really important to understand to understand the categories. The categories are so different in the behavior of the consumer. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. If I'm a shopper going into a, a, a shelf and I'm looking at hair, for example, hair category, right? And I'm looking for a solution for my anti-dandruff. If I don't find an anti-dandruff, I'm not going to buy shampoo for all my <laughs> hair, right? Like, I mean, I mm -hmm. have a major problem, which is anti-dandruff. By the way, I don't have this problem, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I need something for anti-dandruff, then maybe the brand will be less important, but I need the solution. I need the shampoo yeah. that can help with my problem. However, if I'm a consumer shopping laundry, for example, um, and I love this brand, and I know this brand is amazing for cleaning my clothes, but I can't find the lemon, you know, variant. I can find, I can only find the lavender variant. Probably, probably, <laughs> I'm more likely to buy because at the end of the day, I love the brand. I know the brand is good for me. I know it's clean my clothes. You know, I probably I can live with the lavender variant versus the lemon variant, for example, or the flowers variant or whatever it is. So I think a deep understanding needs to happen to understand uh, the consumer tree, the loyalty data. If there is loyalty data, that absolutely loyalty data is yeah. is a mine, like a mine of gold, a mine of diamonds. So if you have that, <laughs> you absolutely need to use it, and you absolutely need to invest behind the analytics to get the insights. Um, the other piece as well is that you need to understand the switching and the substitution, what the consumer is going to do. So that's an important piece. And um, my advice is to build because it's very complex, like you need to look at velocity, you need to look at profitability, you need to look at um, mm -hmm. uniqueness, right? If there is a unique item in the category, you want to keep it because it's very unique. You also want to keep uh, in mind the strategic importance of this item, you know, in different in different retailers and, and, and some retailers have different strategies. So again, that's something you need to keep uh, in mind of maybe maybe an item is very small now, but we know that it's important for the development of this category. Yeah. So we need to keep it right because mm. it is strategically important. As so, marketing so, always says, strategic item, strategic product. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's, it's so important that some of the items might might play a small role now, but in two years or three years. It's mm. very important to have. So I think I think one you need to involve the cross-functional for sure. Second, you need to have the dialogue and the partnership with the customer. Um, third, you need a good analytics and advanced analytics tool. And I know lots of people are mm. now um, investing behind that, whether internally or externally, to to have the right because it's a very complex parameters and metrics, and mm -hmm. and you want to. And you want to have the uh, modeling or the forecasting of what the you know what the before and after looks like. The other piece as well, if you can do it, um, is it's always good to pilot with small number of, of, of stores if you can. So if you have hundred stores, mm -hmm. only start with five, only start with four, test and learn, and then go and apply for the rest of the market because that will give confidence. Um, and I think it's a dynamic thing. It's a dynamic process that has to take place. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's not a process you do once and then you 
don't think about it for two, three years. Uh, it's dynamic, it's changing, but it's so essential. And I think my message is, if you are in CPG, you have to take the first step. Don't let the retailers decide you because they will make their decision and their decision you probably you will not like. So it's better to collaborate with the retailers and be and be ahead of the game and be proactive and be transparent and have your data analytics ready. Have, like this is another example where technology and machine learning can can do marvelous things that you know we can we can spend million <laughs> hours on our Excel to try and figure it out, but then uh, leveraging technology can help us and can help us with modeling and forecasting that works. Yeah. Definitely. Allow Definitely. me, if you allow me, yes. if you allow me, please. I have not. I have not got all this for a long time. <laughs> Thank you. It's oh, you're welcome. I, it's, uh, I, yeah, it's I love. Yes, I loved what you say, Denise. It's. I think that you can write a book on on this kinds of philosophy that you have based on your amazing experience. I believe, as you said, it's all about the strategy. And the strategy starts firstly, I would say, top down. So what is the business strategy? And then you can de-aggregate this into a category strategy. And from that category strategy, you will understand how to drive your SQs. And from this SQ, you can, you can take it into channel strategies. And from channel strategy, you can put it into a retailer strategy. And from that point, you can take your SQ optimization, as you said, or SQ rationalization, either this or this. And some people, they think that when I have SQ rationalization, I, I should have the SQ rationalization at a total national level from the organization itself. No, it doesn't make sense sometimes. It makes sense even I can uh, rationalize some SQs on a specific stores because it gives me negative ROI because the cost to serve yeah. there, it's really negative. So uh, why I'm saying this because when I was working in, in demand planning, uh, I didn't understand why sometimes that the super marketing and the customer marketing that they delist some of the SQs that they have a great, uh, I would say, sales in that point, some stores, because it gives Nick ROI. So uh, our understanding, it shouldn't be on a total national level, but it depends on the strategy, how you de-aggregate the strategy from the business till the retailer and the store level. This is Absolutely. the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Ahmed, if I add... Um... Some some retailers, I've seen some retailers having different optimization in different areas. So regional optimization becomes important. And again, you can't do that with an Excel file. Like you need to have a very advanced analytics. But think about a retailer that has in one city a very affluent uh, market, uh, rich families, uh, high income, big families, their wow. optimization will be different than if they are in another city that is, you know, maybe value is important, um, maybe smaller size of families, maybe uh, high, like the demographics as well. Like, who are you sure. serving? Are you serving seniors? Are you serving millennials? Are you serving, you know, big families, small families, families who are with low income, high income? 
And this is the beauty about, you know, um, using technology because then you can have one retailer who has different <laughs> optimization even. And I know supply chain people will come and tell me this is more complexity. But again, using the technology and using the machine, you can you can put a threshold so that you can have the discussion with your retailers that I will only give you that if the threshold is this, right? So, mm -hmm. so you are building, you're building scale and you're building efficiency in your factories, but also um, you're finding the balance where you are, um, you know, optimizing not only for customers, but for consumers, for shoppers, because this is what they are looking for, right? So, so you're making everyone happy and this is like a win-win-win, win-customer, win-consumer and win uh, for CPG. Yeah. Great. Great. That's really uh, key, as you said, that collaboration between retailers and uh, making use of information and uh, technology. This is how, uh, how people and how companies will win in the future. And the key, as you said, to win the consumer and to get uh, what the consumer wants, this is how to win. And with high efficiency of supply chain, which is, of course, this is hard to, to achieve, but it's, it's, it's the way forward. Yeah. Yeah, Anissa, I think we can stay another three hours if, yes. if we want because, yeah, I think time it's took too us. Late now and, for you guys. It's yeah, yeah, no, yeah. we do apologize for our, for our audience because we have many questions, but honestly, just we wanted to make use of your amazing experience about questions that we have so we do apologize for our audience because but, we have uh, many many for questions sure, for sure we will take the questions and uh, yes sure. uh, we will answer me you or uh, even uh, our guests of course uh, Denise if she has time and can uh, can uh, can spare some time for our audience to answer to take their questions offline so of course due to the limitation of time we we thank everyone of course who joined us today from from the audience and gave a lot of great questions. Our great guest, of course, uh, Nanise, we cannot uh, say thank you enough. Of course, uh, a lot of uh, great knowledge and values you shared with us today. Really, and it's, it's an amazing episode. Yeah, we're, we're honored to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I'm happy to answer any more questions if you have any other questions from everyone. And thank you for joining. I know it's 10 p.m. so. It must be late in, in many countries there. It's still 2 p.m. in Toronto, but uh, yeah. thank you for joining. Thank you so much, Nanis. And hopefully that we can have another episode very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great thank night. You. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye. Have a great Thank you for listening to our Global S&OP Community Podcast. We hope that you have absorbed some values from this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to be notified every week with the new episode. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.co or ahmedkhaled.co. We believe that one word, one story or one conversation could transform your life. Stay tuned next week with a great thought leader in S&OP. Have a wonderful week ahead.